Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back, you health renaissance people. Now, if you had any qualms or confusion that we're in the dark ages, realize that um, the, the world has changed. And we're not going to concentrate because the entire world is going to be changing. This means the food structure, your job, infrastructure, the, um, it's going more towards a socialized or socialist type of government where the government will have a tremendous amount more control on you. And the only way that our knowledge will survive is to break off into tiny groups. So this is where all the preppers are going. So I'm going to do a small um, 15-minute talk um, that's going to be put up on Facebook and YouTube on the state of the world. Um, those have been consistently deleted because the controlling interest of the planet doesn't want any dissenting views. So we're going to focus in on getting your body healthy because when a crisis comes, and this one that's coming up is going to last a while, you're looking at between 5 and 10 years. So it's essential that we keep you healthy. So we're going to look at inflammatory bowel disorders today and celiac disease. Um, but just realize that that taking care of yourself is the best asset you can, particularly in this crisis situation. So let's look at at disorders. Now, now think if you had a whole herd of deer and five of them, were coughing, sneezing, and one of them was, um, you know, had diarrhea and cramping. Um, would we start to vaccinate all of them? Would we put masks on all of the deer? Or would we find out what they ate or what they've been toxic or exposed to? Uh, you know, so let, let's just correlate it with um, an animal species that's designed to live on this planet. And that's what human beings are. So just like every other animal species, if you're eating something and it damages your intestinal tract, um, let's find out what a healthy intestinal tract is and what an unhealthy one is, <clears throat> particularly when it comes to celiac disease. So realize that your digestion system keeps you alive. I mean, this literally is where you break proteins, amino acids, fats to fatty acids, and carbohydrates to usable sugars. This is how you live. Now, inflammation is a healing process of the body. <clears throat> so when we see inflammatory bowel disorders, you got to start thinking, well, what damaged it? So let's look at the digestive tract. Now, everything is working with the nervous system because the nervous system controls and coordinates every function of the body. And it's in two parts. One part keeps you alive under stress. That's the sympathetic. And that's why when you watch CNN or all the fear mongers, um, your heart rate is going to elevate, your blood pressure is going to elevate, your blood sugar is going to elevate. And then when you think of, oh, my God, phase two, phase three, you know, they're going to shut down us again. All of this is designed to change your mind, okay, and to make you uh, submit to the forced vaccination schedule. That's okay. Just realize what it's there for. But under stress, your sympathetic nervous system, the fight or flight, is going to be activated. That means the rest, digest, and repair is not going to be activated. Now, the gut is where 80% of the immune system is. <clears throat> so when you eat something 
you smell it first. And that smell tells your body what's what's coming down. So it produces a certain type of stomach acid and salivary ready. And now the food goes down through the esophagus into the stomach. And this is where gastric acids are secreted. <clears throat> now this kills pathogenic bacteria. It also breaks the proteins to amino acids. Also, you need healthy acid in the stomach in order to absorb minerals. And this is why those crazy drugs to reduce stomach acid, like Zantac, which now is causing cancer, and there's tons of lawsuits against that. But not only do they cause cancer, they also weaken the body's ability to produce acid, which means that pathogenic bacteria can get in the small intestinal tract. And we know that celiac disease is involved in that small intestine. <clears throat> then, after you eat that food, it goes into the esophagus, through the stomach, through the duodenum, where fat is broken down, and that's where the gallbladder secretes. Then this goes through the small intestine, further breaking down that food and, and um, alkalinizing it. And so all along the small intestine, there's veins where, where food is absorbed through these veins, and it literally goes into the liver. It's called a porticaval system. And, I mean, brilliant design. Now, you have this huge curtain that hangs on the bottom of the stomach called the greater omentum. And anything that damages that intestinal tract, you know, like let's say you ate a twig or a stick or something when you're eating that much berry bush, this goes over, surrounds the damaged tissue, heals it, and then goes back to neutral once it's done healing the tissue. And I got to tell you, it's the most amazing thing. When I was doing human dissection, I saw a huge number of greater omentums surrounding the intestinal tract, healing it even while this person was passing on to the next, the next world. Um, just, just the the respect and awe that I have for human, the human body is in beyond compare. And so you see this design of the system. Now the problem is um, we're damaging that intestinal tract. So what is, according to the Celiac Disease Foundation, celiac disease is an autoimmune disorder. And they're saying in this Celiac Disease Foundation that it's immune system response that attacks the small intestine. Now, one in 100 people worldwide have it. Almost 3 million Americans have it. Uh, and we have to look at the layout. See, the small intestine isn't just a tube. It has these little, like, outpouchings called villi. Now, these villi are, gives a huge surface area. It's like taking a big sheet of paper and folding it smaller and smaller and smaller. So you have good surface area, but it's over a small area. The symptoms that are found in children, you're looking at bloating, cramping, fatigue, a lot of dental issues. Can Masquerade has um, the celiac disease, smelly, smelly poop. Uh, in adults, you're looking at iron deficiency, super common, joint pain, uh, anxiety, depression. All of these are long-term um, or signs of celiac disease. Now, again, the Celiac Disease Foundation is looking to get a gluten-free diet, which is, which is interesting because when you look at um, the clinical experimental gastroenterology, and the gluten um, that certain proteins contain. 
these peptides resist complete digestion. They pass through the intestinal epithelial barrier. Now, isn't that interesting that the process of breaking down the nutrients um, is, that's what digestion does. But these proteins, they somehow get out of the intestinal tract from increased intestinal permeability or leaky gut. <clears throat> so it's, and then that initiates the immune system response. So it's not just the immune system attacking this area. It's undigested proteins are getting out. Now, we know that it's not genetic. Okay, you're talking, if you have this, you know, specific, um, uh, uh, it's called an HLA-DQ2 or DQ8, um, about 35% all Caucasians have it, but only about 2 to 5% will develop uh, celiac disease. So genetics is not a big factor. Environmental is. Now, what they're saying is a lot of kids that have early exposure to toxic gluten can change the bacterial gut flora. Uh, breastfeeding, breastfeeding infants tends to protect kids. Uh, however, what we're seeing now is glyphosates, and we're going to go into glyphosates in a couple of minutes in detail, but the glyphosates, which is sprayed on um, genetically modified plants, uh, is also a mineral chelator and an antibiotic, and this gets into our food. It's actually found, glyphosates are found in the breast milk of Americans' moms. So you can say, well, breast milk protects against celiac disease. However, if that breast milk contains glyphosates, that's going to cause a leaky gut or increased intestinal permeability leading to that. And you're looking at glyphosates as found in Americans' urine and drinking water. It's crazy. Other causes, they're um, looking at infectious etiologies. And it's in interesting because there's already um, an immune system of that area. But they're looking at adenovirus, they're looking at uh, Giardia, they're looking at enteroviruses, a lot. So let's look at wheat. Are, are we allergic to wheat? Well, it's been cultivated for around 10,000 years, except the old way we used to harvest the wheat, and you're looking at you know, four to six foot long um, stalks. And then you would harvest it and dry, let it dry up in the field because that drying and fermentation process caused the plant to die, and that's when the seeds are given up. Well, we don't do that anymore. They developed a dwarf wheat, which has different types of gluten in it. It increases the production about eight times that of the standard wheat. But what they're doing, remember, just like all plants, all grains, they give up the plant gives up its grain when it starts to die. So if you desiccate or destroy these plants by spraying them with glyphosates, you increase production about 20%. And then the high yield seeds or so, um, seeds that they have genetically modified. The problem with these high yield seeds, they demand expensive fertilizer. They need more wheat, or more water. And so they're drawing, any plant that, that grows a lot more is going to draw more nutrients out of the soil. So that demands, uh, puts higher demands on the soil as well. And now, <clears throat> the, the problem with um, using glyphosates, 
on those grains. Well, the good part is it increases production about 20%. The bad part is you're getting this this mineral chelator, this natural antibiotic, in almost every grain product out there. That means cereals, breads, um, packaged foods is going to have this. Heck, they're finding glyphosates in vaccines. So very dangerous stuff. Uh, now, when we look at um, and a really cool article out of Science Direct. Now, this was July 10th, 2020. And listen to the title of this article. Are glyphosates and glyphosate-based herbicides endocrine disruptors that alter female fertility? How about that? Uh, because we know that there's a big thing with fertility now. A lot of fertility centers around. Um, quote from the article. Some of the reported effects due to exposure of high doses, uh, recent evidence has shown that exposure to low doses also alter development of the female reproductive tract with consequences on fertility. Different animal models of exposure to glyphosates or glyphosate-based herbicides have shown that the effects on female reproductive tract may be related to the potential or, and or mechanism actions of the endocrine-disrupting compounds. Uh, it's end of quote. It's interesting because that shows that it it's the glyphosates mimic your own hormone production. Here's another one out of a veterinarian and animal science. Uh, and this is December 2020. Um, where was it? No, this is um, <laughs> volume 10, 2020. It's like that because we haven't had a December yet in 2020. <laughs> uh, it's it's interesting when you cut and paste these articles. Okay, the title of the office of the article is "Glyphosate-Based Herbicide Formulations and Reproductive Toxicity in Animals." Quote: Although glyphosates have been considered generally safe for animal health, recent studies have showed glyphosates to have potential to cause adverse effects in animal reproduction, including disruption of key regulatory enzymes and androgen synthesis. Alterations of the serum level of estrogen and testosterone damage the reproductive tissue and impair uh, gametogenesis. So it's literally altering that. Now, um, so first F, when we're looking at healing celiac disease, we got to look at the physical, chemical, emotional stressor. We also eliminate any GMOs, and, and this is any glyphosate-contaminated food. That means virtually every processed or packaged food, any non-organic meat. And if you see natural on the label, you should run. Look for 100% organic for sure. Then we have to look at other things that are disrupting your normal flora and your gut, and this is vaccinations, antibiotics, medications, and processed foods. Now, knowing that we're going into a socialized, um, think of the Nazis taking over, but it's literally um, our government is being wiped out to where you're going to be forced to get these medical procedures. If you don't like that, then we have to actually change the government. But right now, the corporations have taken over. So um, look at the antibiotics that you're exposed to. Now, antibiotics is in your meat. 
Um, why? Because we have very poor animal husbandry practices. Uh, it's <laughs> the antibiotic of the glyphosates is in your bread. So if you're eating a standard burger, this is killing your gut flora. But this also allows yeast to take over. And it's the yeast that grow in the intestinal tract that can literally poke holes in the gut. So the antibiotics kill the bacteria and allow yeast to overgrow. There's also, out of the Journal of Molecular Pathology, they had a really good article on how vaccines are causing a new form of inflammatory bowel disorder. And you're going to see this more and more <clears throat> as more of these forced medical procedures on kids uh, because the, not every kid is going to have the same response to every medication or vaccine. There's going to be a variety. Some people are going to have little response, a lot of response, uh, or no response. So there, there's going to be a variety. But this is called iliocolonic uh, lymphonodular hyperplasia. Now, it shows that when you get the MMR vaccine, that it actually gets in the bloodstream, but it is found in the gut of these children. Uh, interesting, because when we're looking at, at your normal immune system response, uh, divide it up in two things, Th1 and Th2. Th1 means that you have to have a robust, healthy gut flora in order to develop a humoral and cellular response. It's brilliant. Now, a Th2 response is more for an acute inflammatory response. Now, this isn't like lifetime immunity, like a Th1 response. This is more like getting a splinter. Well, most vaccines trigger an inflammatory reaction or a Th2 response. It's interesting, great article, um, July 2020. And this was a, a title of the article, Gulf War Illness, Post-HPV Vaccine Syndrome, Macrophagetic Myofasciitis, Similar Disabling Conditions Possibly Linked to Vaccine-Induced Autoimmune Dysautonomia. And this article goes on to look at veterans. Um, in fact, one more than one-fourth of all Persian Gulf Coalition soldiers still remain seriously ill, and this is after 20 years. Uh, chronic fatigue, widespread pain, cognitive impairment, all of these um, uh, small fiber neuropathy have been described in these patients with post-HPV vaccination syndrome. And so they're seeing this in Gulf War where it's causing that um, inflammation. Now, there's, they were using certain adjuvants, and, but you got to figure, when you're in the military, you're getting you know, 8, 10, 12 vaccines, and then if you're shipped overseas, you're getting more. And one size does not fit all. Uh, it's interesting. And this was um, a commun uh, another article out of Environmental Health, um, in preview medicine. I got it at the National Institute of Health site. A cumulative inactivated vaccine exposure and allergy development among children of both core heart and Japan. And listen to this, quote, we hypothesize that the cumulative adjuvant exposure in infancy may influence the development of allergies later on in life by changing the balance of Th1 to Th2 immunity. Isn't that interesting? 
you know, end of quote. That means that triggering this inflammatory response is triggering the immune system to develop inflammation later on. Uh, now, I brought this article up last week because it's just mind-blowing that we take better care of our pets than we do our kids. Uh, because back years ago, and we're talking in the, in the 90s, they had vaccine-associated sarcomas in cats, and they, they found that where cats were getting injected, there was tumor growth. And some people say that it had to be an inflammation or inflammatory response at the site of the, uh, the shot. That could be, it could be the adjuvants in there. But that's why they started to um, vaccinate cats in the tails because there were so many um, tumors that would develop. And some of these were highly invasive. Now, in 1996, they formed a vaccine-associated feline sarcoma task force um, to find out the mission um, and propose changes in the vaccine protocol. In 1998, the American Association of Feline Practitioners developed the Feline Vaccination Advisory Panel. And think of this. They knew that there were risk variables to consider when formulating an individual cat's vaccination protocol, including age, lifestyle, environment. Cats should only be vaccinated as often and as necessary to maintain protection against infectious agents. Um, to which they have realistic risk of exposure. So think of that. We're protecting our cats because we saw damage and we're individualizing the vaccines for those cats because if we give one vaccine to everybody all the time, cats tend to not make out really well. Wow, just like humans. So we're, we're going to show a few uh, patients, okay, normal and abnormal, but know that this is an oxidative stress, okay? And, and oxidative stress in celiac disease, okay, because we're looking at the vaccines causing damage, vaccines causing a TH2 or inflammatory response. Um, this one article out of Clinical Biochemistry says oxidative stress is an important factor in the pathogenesis of celiac disease. <clears throat> Antioxidants um, such as glutathione can help but also depletion of glutathione uh, can aggravate it. And we know um, Tylenol can deplete it. We also know that out of the British Medical Journal, and again, this is this year, and the title of the article is Face Masks for the Public During COVID-19. And this was a great response to an article. And uh, here it is. The Precautionary Principle a strategy for approaching issues of potential harm when extensive scientific knowledge is lacking on the matter. Uh, now, it goes through six different points. One, um, at, at how wearing the masks increase oxidative stress and do not help. And we're, we're going to go over that because we've talked about face masks in the past, but when you're looking at face masks for somebody that has... Uh, celiac disease, uh, that's insane, or any bowel disorder, or if you need oxygen to live. Because this goes on, that talks about, well, here, quote, a fraction of carbon dioxide previously exhaled is inhaled at each respiratory cycle if you're wearing a mask. Those two phenomena increase breathing frequency and deepness 
and hence they increase the amount of inhaled and exhaled air. This may worsen the burden of COVID-19 if infected people wearing masks spread more contaminated air. This may also worsen the clinical condition of infected people if the enhanced breath pushes the viral load deep into their lungs. Um, And the article goes on to state a couple of different things at how it's not good for you. Now, when we're talking about, yeah, obviously, you're designed not to wear a mask, and it does not protect you when you look at all of the data. Um, Let's look at pediatrics. Gastrointestinal symptoms in autism spectrum disorder. And this is a great article I brought up. This was back in uh, 2014 talked about how the gut-brain connection is hugely important that these kids with autism have gut issues. And, and I see it 100% of the time in the kids with that autism diagnosis or <clears throat> other um, emotional problems like anxiety, stress, depression. Super, super common. Uh, but a brilliant article out of the Scandinavian Journal of Educational Research they did um, a gluten-free, dairy-free diet on these kids and found phenomenal results. Also, a high-fat diet, such as a ketogenic diet. Great one article in Frontier Pharma, uh, Pharmacology. And then there's another article on nutritional science that talked about a gluten-free, dairy-free diet. And so all of these are fantastic. So in order to solve um, a celiac disease, it's not just a reaction to gluten, but it is a reaction to chronic stress. So you need that chronic stressor, whether it's the vaccines that's triggered an inflammatory response or medications that, that weaken your immune system response or the glyphosate-soaked bread or antibiotics or the glyphosate you're taking in the water or antibiotics in the bread. All of these things are going to damage the gut flora. And it's going to put you in a, in a stress state. So first, you've got to look at the physical, chemical, and emotional stressors. Then you have to build the gut. And this is going to be healthy fats. It's also going to be fermented vegetables, um, prebiotic or probiotic supplements, juicing vegetables. Because remember, this area is inflamed, and inflammation is the body trying to heal. And then it's also helpful knowing that this is generally in the small intestine, moist heat on your gut, because that's going to rush blood to the area. And also, any viruses, funguses, and bacteria, um, they die at a higher temperature. So that's going to be hugely important. Um, But once you get that body out of stress and the person is starting to sleep good, you've got to get fermented foods in that system. And this is going to be um, fermented milk, sauerkraut, some miso, kimchi. All of these different, different fermentations gives healthy amounts of bacteria. Because when you look at your gut flora, what does your gut flora do? What are the bugs inside your gut? Well, it helps with digestion. It helps, helps with absorption of nutrients. It produces vitamins. It absorbs minerals, eliminates toxins. Um, it keeps harmful bacteria and funguses and yeast under control. Uh, it provides vital support to the immune system. And when we know probiotics and digestive disorders, and listen to this out of the Annals of New York Academy of Sciences, quote, recent studies demonstrated that probiotic bacteria have a beneficial effect 
in these diseases by effectively improving the intestinal barrier function. That should be like, oh my gosh, that means that probiotics, healthy bacteria inside of your system can, can help seal up that leaky gut, improving that intestinal barrier. Oh my God, it can't be that easy. So look at glutathione. Fantastic. This is all the cruciferous vegetables. Garlic, onions, broccoli, kale. Uh, fantastically good for you. I mean, i got to tell you, if you ferment cauliflower, which is like fantastic, oh, you're never going to go back again. Also, know that when your gut starts to heal, sprouted grains will be tolerated better. Sourdough with a lot of healthy bacteria in there uh, will also be good. Rice, buckwheat, oats, quinoa, amaranth. Uh, all of these ancient grains, and of course, they all got to be organic. And all of this helps with your your body breaking down these nutrients, and and you're able to break it down and heal yourself. Now, I don't know how much longer the sensors are going to allow us to keep the radio show and the YouTube broadcasting up and the Facebook. Uh, they're going to be coming down pretty hard, particularly this coming winter. And so I, I really don't know how much longer this is going to go on for. Um, so try and make um, some efforts now. Uh, go to medicalfreedompac.com and, and let's start supporting this on a legislative basis. Go to my website, drjohnbergman.com. That's D-R-J-O-H-N-B-E-R-G-M-A-N. Uh, dot com. We're going to store our videos there. We're also storing our videos on Extreme Health Academy. You can get in there free for 14 days using Bergman14 as the code. Um, BitChute, we're getting on there. We're also going to be developing library. Uh, just get out there because this information is vital. It will save lives, uh, and it's also being highly censored. We will get through this. Okay, eventually people will wake up and see the BS. Um, hang in there. Do not conform. Try and spread the good news that people are designed by God and they're designed to live on this planet. And that might turn some people off, but um, what Abraham Lincoln said, sometimes he was driven to his knees because he had nowhere else to go. God bless you. This is Dr. John Bergman. I love you.